And we are live on Discovery Paranormal. You can use your imagination to see like little paranormal dancers coming out, a couple aliens and some ghosts and whatever Bigfoot on the end, you know, kicking up their little feet. Lights and lasers going off, man. But it has to be in your imagination because I could never afford to pay for <laughs> something like that. But so this is what you got. This is what you got, right? So I want to talk about your reality, but also my reality and the reality of others and what our perception of reality is. And also uh, Shuang Zhu, Zi, Shuang Zi, uh, Taoist uh, philosopher, right? Had a dream of a butterfly. He dreamt that he was a butterfly, and that was his other life, and he was doing butterfly things. And in fact, I'll give you the exact quote and what he said. He said, once upon a time, I, Shuang Chu, dreamt I was a butterfly fluttering hither and thither. Uh, to all intents and purposes, a butterfly, I was conscious only of my happiness as a butterfly, unaware that I was chow. Soon I awaked, awaked, awoken, I'll say awoken. Soon I awoken, and there I was, a veritably myself again. Now, do I not know whether I was then a man dreaming I was a butterfly, or whether I was now a butterfly dreaming I am a man? So... Between a man and a butterfly, there is a, a distinction. But see now, in the world of the Tao, everything is related and everything is all together, you know, and co-evolution too and all that on top of that. But this is more about your reality. So is this due to butterfly? Are we all butterflies dreaming that we are men, right? Dreaming about these things. Because, you know, like, I don't know about you guys. A lot of my dreams, many of most of them, <clears throat> I, I'll dream all night. And it's an ongoing saga, but I can't remember the bits and pieces. Only uh, all the let's say the larger chunks, you know, the this the this that and the other thing and that detail. Sometimes waking up and even saying someone's name and writing it down, looking for the name online or whatever, because that's that's a good thing to do if you wake up saying someone's name that you've never heard of before. And yeah, your own your own you know, your mind can make up all kinds of stuff. It is a, a great machine because it has absorbed a ton of material out there. Anything and anything, anything you see, anything you participate, you smell, touch, whatever, man, has all been recorded in your brain. Through those little bits and pieces, it can create anything that it wants it, beyond you. It, your consciousness, which you apparently don't have control over in your dreams, Right? And that's an interesting thing, because you would think that people can control themselves, their brains, what their brains do. So that's an interesting thing that we can kind of put on the side right now and get to that later, right? So the butterfly, I love it, man, because it, it shows that he was happy in that state, number one, right? Number two, it, it brings you to the illusion of reality, right? And when I say this, I'm talking about the scientific proof that everything in energy and reality isn't real. So when I have these dreams of, of, of like these futuristic civilizations, and I'm going to use the term loosely because futuristic as to the technology currently in this world which isn't really any anything because there are other civilizations that are well well advanced well more advanced you know right i don't know about less i don't know about less uh, on this planet we got people uh, in loincloths and headhunters and cannibals and whatever we still got that running around you know what i mean so not everybody is at uh, the same level. So it's more very, very primitive world <clears throat> we are in, right? But is real. And sure, you could have civilizations from millions of years ago 
that are unbelievably advanced it depends on their civilization and what they base their their science on what they base their technology on right so anyway i'll read this to you right uh, or, uh what else can we do in the face of what scientists have discovered about reality it's unbelievable fantastic and it's quite clearly showing that everything in uh, is energy and at most fundamental levels here's a really brief peek at the shocking things quantum physicists now know about our reality so of course quantum physics where this is like a new world for us right quantum tunneling quantum computing this is a new world but once we harness the energy of that world nothing is impossible you know especially reaching other worlds and not getting into some kind of so-called spaceship you know but rather in some kind of uh vehicle that you can transport from one place to another they're re- they're realizing all these things now about quantum quantum uh let's say quantum reality right how's that Albert Einstein, reality is merely an illusion, although a very persistent one. So, okay. Let's see. So, facts that change everything we believe about life and self, standing it all on its head. Uh, Did our view uh, of the solar system all those, you know, centuries ago, think think about the learning of mankind and the things that we are discovering, things that we're discovering just about our own neighborhood, you know, let alone what's really out there, right? So if everybody in the world understood what the next few paragraphs outline about the energetic nature of reality, our planet would change overnight. In the early 20th century, the unquestioned assumption that the physical universe is actually physical uh, led to a scientific search for the elementary point particle upon which all life is built which would prove the reality was that reality was not an illusion. And it also showed that people wanted to know. Uh, the, the questioning, that constant questioning of mankind, which takes mankind to another level, questioning even how what you do, your own actions, what your society does, their actions, you know, constantly uh, discriminating against what goes on in the world to try to change it and make it better, you know, as it were that not adding in you know uh like evil politicians and <laughs> yeah, you know i mean i'm talking about in a in a better world of what people can can truly appreciate and accomplish you know without these other stumbling blocks which keeps us back it keeps us back all the political poison keeps us back right all right so uh but back in the day as soon as scientists began smashing electrons and other particles uh, in these, uh, you know, accelerators, you know, hydrogen uh, super collider and others, right? They quickly realized the foundations of the physical world weren't physical. It was all energy. So the evidence that everything is energy, the solar system uh, picture of electrons and protons as tiny solid plant-like structures whizzing around a large interior neutron in an atom was all dead wrong electrons muons taons quarks and gluons have no internal structure and no physical size meaning that they are entirely illusionary or put another way made up energy right they are zero dimensional remember uh, how even the bible says we come from nothing when I have Augie Nost on the show, who is a scientist, he says that uh, we are nothing because we come from nothing and we are created from nothing. How's that? They are zero dimensional and more like events that and than things. Events. So in the theory of a block universe where everything is already set in stone and we're just living our lives and every choice we make is already predetermined because it's either happened before or it was the planned things of, of going, it comes down to the events. And if it wasn't for time, it would all just be a bunch of like uh, folders on your desktop. 
that you can just look at and, and click on, you know, but there, time kind of puts everything in order, a, a functional flow of, of information, right? Like taking a, like a movie, you know, you have all your little bits and pieces and all your little uh, photos and all the stuff you put in there, and then you put it in motion, right? It's time. So, all right. Let me get past all of this. Uh, all right, so... Getting back to uh, to wave particles, electrons showed up in one form or the other, depending on the experiment involved. They were also hard to pin down. After all, when everything is energy, it's hard to keep in one place. Scientists can uh, can know a particle's velocity or its position, but not both at the same time, which is like a, a cop clocking a car going 150 miles an hour on the interstate, but not being able to locate it uh, to give chase. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Just kind of zoom right the hell down the road. Man, you know, ain't nothing stopping you. But boom, get out of the way. I'm a quark. God damn it. Yeah, electrons coming. Sometimes like mm, he's going 250 miles an hour. I didn't see anything though. That's right. That's right. Anyway, let me get it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So another strange habit that energetic particles have is that they could be in more than one place at one same time called a superposition right electrons and other <laughs> hey if you're if you're a parent you know exactly what that means <laughs> electrons and other non-particle particles are capable of being in hundreds of places simultaneously which is only possible if everything is energy at the most fundamental levels. It seems like the more physicists discover, the worse things get for those who, uh, you know, trying to make any kind of sense of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because if you go by this information, all right, anyway, all right, let's say, uh, in fact, uh, towards the end of his life, uh, when Einstein was asked what the biggest physics question he wished could be answered before he died, he replied, I'd be happy if I just knew what an electron really was. There you go. Now we know, and we know it is energy at the fundamental levels. He's an electron, right? Reality is stranger than we think. It's stranger than most people can think. And the reality that uh, that everything is energy and energy is everything. Scientists have been dealing with the shocking implications of quantum theory for 100 years now. But as, as far more as mainstream society is concerned, scientists are stupefied still on the conclusions that uh, that life may as well not exist. I'll read that again. They came upon the conclusion that life may as well not exist. So what is life? Why are we here? You say you're here to love, you know? I love coffee. I've accomplished that. Do I get a ding ding? Do I get a gold star? You know, I, I've loved and lost. I lost my mom. I've lost my, my beautiful pets too, uh, you know? So what more is there except loss? It seems like, but all these things are uh, oh, so they're electrons, so they're they got a zero, nothing, and we're all made up of that, which makes us that. It's crazy, you know. It really is, <laughs> because you start it, when you start thinking in those terms, you start thinking of other things, and why are we so restricted? you know, to this planet, why can't, why can't we hop from, from one universe to another or one dimension to another easily? You know, you know why? Because we're humans and we're stupid and we don't have anything that, I mean, we're still killing each other with guns and all this crazy stuff is going on. We don't have the responsibility to have that kind of power. Imagine if we went to other worlds, that's like a, an infectious disease traveling around, you know? You don't want some other universe to get human herpes, do you? So, but there's a handful of people that aren't like that. But would, but take those same people and put them in certain situations, give them access to certain uh, uh, technologies that we don't have that are, are way unbelievable and more powerful. Would those same people be as, as uh, neutral? or as good, or as nice, or as kind, or as, as uh, selfless, or 
would they go the other direction? You know, money corrupts. There's society built on on monetary funds on you have have to have this and this person next to you can have more so they, they have more and then you see what they have and they see that you have less and they start treating you different than the other people this happens uh, in our society and it's, uh, it's really unfortunate you know that it happens like that but it's like that for a reason to keep people in a certain place and not have everybody uh, blossom as it were all right for whatever reason it was certainly by design <laughs> this didn't just happen by accident you know you can't have have these intricate systems like that uh even the human brain by accident you know or developed by nature over time really that's a far stretch it really is so anyway so we know about quantum physics right and uh let's see how about the the matrix the Copenhagen interpretation. Uh, so let me go back. All right. Let me get this from the beginning. So this goes back to the movie The Matrix, right? So, and there was a, so the Copenhagen interpretation, wave function of particles. And, uh, it you know, you want to take these things to logical conclusions, right? The Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics seems to imply that reality, the world as we know it, can only take place in some sort of measurement or observation uh, that takes place on the macro level of existence. The level where scientists and all of us more ordinary numbskull types uh, of just living and, and uh, operating, right? It means that not only is everything energy, it responds to consciousness itself. This is deep stuff, man. If you sit there and think about these things, like not just like listen to the show, but I'm after the show, I want you guys to go on and research this, right? And uh, and it's just such a deep way of thinking of like, wow. And you would think that if this is true, you would think that if it's all uh, uh, made up of light and all this other stuff, and boom, that we would have a better control over our our flesh and bone bodies you know, over the diseases and viruses and terrible things that can happen or the terrible accidents, you would think that people would be more impervious. So people are actually really frail. And and these other things can come in from left field that can affect us and uh, take us out. But that energy doesn't die, it moves on, right? From what I understand. So in other words, I'll say this, it's possible that unless... Uh, some agency such as human consciousness interferes particles remain in a, a, a probability type of energy wave state and never actualize into one location particle form at all right so ultimately reality we experience it seems to be the result of human consciousness interfacing with a quantum level of existence that are pure waves of energy so the air that you're breathing, do you think you're breathing? Like Morpheus in that movie, right? He would ask Neo, Neo, in their martial arts sparring, The Matrix. I've actually never seen that movie. Like, I've seen chunks of it. Like, it's, it's like a dream. <laughs> I see this bits and this bits and pieces of it. So I can kind of piece it together what it really has. It's not really my kind of thing. I don't like movies that glorify violence. And I know it's, it's as hard to get away from that, to get away from companies that put sugar in their food. I'm trying to get sugar out of my life. And oh my God, damn, man. Talk about every little tiny flake. You know what I mean? But yeah. <laughs> so he says, uh, are you, do you think you're breathing the air? I'll say it like, like that, dude. Do you think, you think the air you're breathing is real? And Neo's like, huh? He's like, think again. Morpheus is trying to get across to Neo that everything he thinks in is real. In actuality, is only information that the brain receives and translates into a place called reality. 
in that place, you're going to feel those senses. You're going to feel like you're touching something hard. You're going to feel like you're driving a car. You're going to feel like you're eating a steak. But in reality, these are all just impulses, electronic impulses and senses that are sent to your brain. So you could be some battery right now, like in the matrix, like, you know, some human battery powering some computer that's called the, the Zuckerberg, the Zuckerberg computer. You know what I mean? <laughs> so now scientists are thinking the same way, understanding that energy is everything and energy is information. I used to think about this stuff when I was a kid at the beach. I'd be at a long beach, long island growing up and, uh, the beach ocean's an amazing place, man. It's where where life begins, basically. You know, if you think in those terms, I've seen whales' tails come up and slap the water. That's cool. If you go all the way out on Long Island, there's seals out there and great white sharks. There's great white sharks like everywhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> kind of just that tiger sharks. People act like great white sharks is the beat all, beat all. Let me tell you, man. You don't want to bump into a tiger shark or any of those other ones either. No fish with teeth. How's that? How's that? Yeah, we're delicate humans. You know, we 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 cut easily. So no fish with teeth. I don't want to mess with that. You know what I mean? So the Copenhagen interpretation isn't the only indicator that the information-based matrix of energy reality is what we're dealing with. Entanglement is another freaky physics conundrum pointing that way. Once particles have interacted, they become entangled, which means forever after they affect each other's spin, which really isn't a spinning motion at all, but something called the angular momentum. Ooh, I like that. Angular. I'm going to change my name to angular momentum. That's going to be my new radio name. Angular momentum with you. <laughs> yeah. They are connected by an unseen energy of force that permeates everything. So what is that? What is that? You know what that is? That gets us into the world of, of matter, dark matter, dark energy, all of that stuff. Uh, antimatter, oh, there's a whole bunch of antimatter. You know, they collect antimatter in these super colliders. They collect little bits and pieces of it. They say that if you had, let's say, a nickel, like, you know, like a nickel uh, change in your pocket, the size of that, that uh, of antimatter, you'd be able to use that energy to launch the space shuttle in the air like 30 times. That's how powerful. They have to suspend it magnetically because if antimatter touches matter, there there's a problem there. There's a little little explosion, you know? And then they don't they don't it doesn't last in that state either. So it's fascinating stuff. It really is. This ain't no sci-fi channel, man. This is the real deal. So so basically all of this either means we ignore Einstein's theory of special relativity and it, it's a prohibition against faster than light travel for an information bearing signal uh, and except the particles are somehow breaking the speed limit and communicating instantaneously across vast distances of everything is energy and somehow connected to a subatomic level. So this is the, the conversation I had with my neighbor, my old neighbor uh, up in Ithaca, who was head of the vet school for Cornell for a number of years. So we're at a black party and he and I start talking. We're, we're kind of the outcasts, you could tell. He looked like the wacky scientist and I look like the the dark, disturbed, uh, assassin type of guy. <laughs> you know, you're wondering why he's at the party. Security. <laughs> security. Security. So here I started talking. And I had just gotten into a whole thing about tachyons with with uh, the kids. My, my ex's kids got, her, got them Chinese lessons, you know. And their Chinese teacher was a Cornell grad student who was a physicist. And I mentioned tachyons there, and she laughed in my fat face like I was some idiot. Ha, 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 you were so stupid. She actually did laugh in my face. I wasn't fat, but she laughed in my, 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 my face, my fat face. Ha, 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 no such things as tachyon. And I said, if you don't have uh, the mind to think outside the box, you're never going to get anywhere in science. I mean, the, if you're a physicist, the, the very world that you're entering now is quantum quantum physics, you know. And Cornell, you know, they're they're really 
either first in, in science or, or second or third and somewhere, you know, when I first moved to Ithaca 25 years ago, they had just, uh, I think that year invented the nanobot motor. You know, that's 25 years ago. Now they have a whole nanotech department and the whole bit. So, yeah, science happens, especially when you work hard on it, especially when you get grants from military and anybody else to work hard on that science. But then I'm at the party. And uh, I just wrote the girl off as ignorant, you know. I'm at the party, meet this dude, Alex. And we start talking, it's, you know, I don't know. I just, we start talking. You know what? We start talking about science. <laughs> I don't know even know how. Uh, it was just something that came up. And then I mentioned the word tachyons. This dude stomped his feet and clapped his hands and laughed so hard. And he's like, ah, I love it. He's like, I never thought I was going to come to a block party and talk to somebody about tachyons. You know, and we had an awesome conversation about tachyons and the probability of and all that. And, you know, not too far around there. You know, miss ha 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 on your face. No such thing as subatomic particles that travel at faster than the speed of light. Well, they they uh, came about neutrinos and what are neutrinos, you know? And then uh, just, just because people don't understand things doesn't mean they don't exist. Just because we don't have the science or the technology to detect things doesn't mean they aren't there, you know? So that's that's the world of, of quantum physics. All the... all the work they're doing now, especially in the last few years, quantum physics, it just brings them to, to more questions. And I love it, man. I love it. So we're made from nothing. And Alex and I had a great conversation about tachyons. And, and so if you think in terms of the speed of light, radio waves travel at the speed of light. Uh, you know, light travels at the speed of light, obviously. Tachyons, subatomic particles, penetrate the speed of light penetrate our reality so supposedly there's there's uh, lots of these around us all the time flying straight through right and that's what we've got so which leads us to the expansion of the universe <laughs> you know what i mean so all right here we go a cosmic expansion. The universe could stop expanding remarkably soon, a study says. So in just 100 million years, the universe could start to shrink. 100 million years. You pack your bags. But they'll be unpacked, of course, if the universe starts to shrink. So, uh, And this is, this, is a, this is scientific research, right? The, the naysayers who don't believe in anything paranormal, God forbid, are, are talking like this. So... After nearly a 13.8 billion year expansion, a nonstop expansion, universe could soon grind to a standstill and then slowly start to contract. Uh, new research published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences suggest. So in the paper, three scientists attempted to model the nature of dark energy, a mysterious force that seems to be causing the universe to expand ever faster. It's accelerating, yes. Based on past observations of cosmic expansion, uh, okay, in the team's model, dark energy is not a constant force of nature, but an entity called uh, quintessence, which can decay over time. The researchers found that even though the expansion of the universe has been accelerated for billions of years, the repellent force of the dark energy may be weakening. According to their model, the acceleration of the universe could rapidly end within the next 65 million years, then uh, within 100 million years. But if you think in terms of the billions and billions of years, this is really too far down the road for that, that expansion to start contracting. You know what I mean? The universe could stop expanding altogether. And instead, it could enter an area of slow contraction that ends billions of years from now. Uh, with the death or perhaps rebirth of time and space. Time and space. So these guys are putting time as a localized thing. We're talking about this universe and not other universes, you know, because most scientists will agree that there's the multiverse out there, you know. So one wouldn't necessarily affect the other, or maybe it would. 
depends on the density, black holes, things like that. Or does it expand and contract and does time go, goes back, go backwards? Because there are a lot of people that theorize that at that point, time will then run backwards and you have to unlive your life. Imagine that. Oh, got to go through puberty again, backwards. Oh, my God. My God. At least I'll see all my pets again and family. <laughs> So, imagine all the wars that will all the people will jump up to life. You know what I mean? <laughs> all the guns, all the bullets will go back into guns. Everybody comes alive again and start, you know, back back to what they were doing before these terrible events hit them. Lottery winners losing all that money, <laughs> or really never having it to begin with. If let's let's say, <laughs> all right. So going back in time, sixty-five million years. Uh, that's when the, the Chicxulub asteroid hit the Earth and eliminated the dinosaurs, supposedly. Supposedly, right? They, they don't know. They really don't know. They have an idea. So on a cosmic scale, 65 million years is remarkably short. Does that make you feel good about your age? You know what I mean? feel pretty young, even if you're over 50. Nothing about this theory is controversial or implausible. Gary Hinshaw, <coughs> a professor of physics, astronomy at the University of British Columbia, who was not involved in the study, told Live Science. Uh, however, because the model hinges on past observations of expansion alone, and because the present nature of dark energy in the universe is such a mystery, the predictions in this paper are currently impossible to test. For now, they can only remain theories. But you have to see, see theory is a very important part of science. And it allows you to move in that direction. It's it's the, the reality of the unreality of reality of your reality to move forward into reality. You know? So yeah. The energy of the void. You know, in martial arts, so let's say Taoism actually we refer to the void as the void like life is having to leave home and death is going home you know and then uh, in the original story there was the void and uh, there was the absolute and the absolute is like a god or whatever but not really uh, they never really put a person on it and the absolute questioned its own existence it questioned its own reality and when it did that that's when the big bang happened and the universe exploded and then, uh, then the yin and yang formed, and all this other stuff. And it's really cool to to get into that kind of that kind of history, you know, just interesting. So anyway, so since the 1990s, scientists have understood that the expansion of the universe is speeding up. The space between galaxies is widening faster now than it was billions of years ago. Scientists named the mysterious source of this acceleration dark energy. It's invisible, an entity that seems to work contrary to gravity, pushing the universe's most massive objects farther apart rather than drawing them together. Through dark energy, uh, though dark energy makes up approximately 70% of the total mass energy of the universe, its properties remain a total mystery. A popular theory introduced by Albert Einstein is that dark energy is a cosmological constant, an unchanging form of energy that's woven into the fabric of space and time. So if that's the case and the force exerted by energy can never change, then the universe should continue expanding and accelerating forever, if you think. <clears throat> so let me ask you this. What's it expanding into? You know what I mean? Like, if you only got so much space, you can only put so much stuff in there, you know? And as something expands, something also has to give for that expansion. Oh, it's just, just dead space. And then what is that dead space? You know, so, okay. A competing theory suggests that dark energy doesn't need to be constant in order to fit within observations of past cosmic expansion. Rather, dark energy may be something called uh, quintessence, which we talked about before, a dynamic field that changes over time. Anyway, so we know about dark energy, right? And we know that people don't know what it is. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That's the, that, isn't that the weird part of it? Like, just, just, it's, it must be really cool to collect huge grant money 
on something that doesn't exist, you know, or technically speaking, that money doesn't exist, right? Although you need it, <laughs> or, you know, you're going to eat or, or have a place to sleep, you know? So, but the reality is it, it's, I've always been, fa- I know scientists, you know, dated one. <laughs> I know a bunch of them, people who work in the scientific field and different stuff, you know, and they get this great grant money. And then they, some of them work on, on things that, that are, are usable. And some of them work on just the theory part of it. Man, what a life, you know, kicking up your feet, having your iced coffee, just theorizing shit all day, <laughs> all, all day. I'm going to study how many bananas a monkey eats in in, a, in 24 hours. Then I'm going to study how many to eat in 12 hours. Then I'm going to study how many to eat in one hour. And then I'm going to go by uh, the holiday if it makes difference. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> oh, here's a million dollars to study that. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. And that's That really is exactly how it is. I'm not going to tell you my scientist story because uh, I should because it's cute and at some point, I'm going to be dead and nobody will care. <laughs> so I will tell you the story. It's my show. Are you guys ready? You get your coffee? So I was dating this girl from France, except she was in Ithaca. She was a scientist working, not working for Cornell, but using their labs because they had a, a nuclear uh, you know, reactor up there. <laughs> and she needed it for the stuff that she did. So we're dating. And, you know, she spent half her time in the lab, the other part of the time with me, right? This went on for a little while. And I actually felt kind of guilty. I was taking her away from her work because she was working on RNA, like ribonucleic acid, and, you know, trying to figure out ways of getting rid of hereditary diseases in families. I didn't want to stand away if someone's diabetes, you know, <laughs> like, or whatever, man, or cancer, that type of stuff. But we were dating, doing our thing. Had a lot of argue, like silly arguments, man. You know, the French, they don't like, they don't like the whole, the whole thing. The French have some kind of deep hatred for America. They really do. You know, no matter how nice they come off, and they don't really come off as nice. But it was like that. But she was actually from the northern areas of France, and uh, came from a really cool, normal old family. But anyway, there was a time that you know she told me that the scientific field is very competitive. And people are always trying to steal your ideas. They try to uh, pick your brain and, you know, whatever you're working on, they, they'll take it because, one, they want the big prize. You know, they want they want the research. They want to get published. Getting published is a big deal to them. That's, that's kind of like their only deal is to get published because that's how they get more grant money. That's how they get more, more action, right? So then she has to go down to Long Island with these other three scientists. And let me tell you, these guys, if you met them, these are the, the biggest brains in the world. These They wouldn't be able to find their way out of a building that had a huge sign that says exit with an arrow pointing at it. There's no no real common sense. And then they had to go down to this thing in, uh, on Long Island. Uh, they had their, their little big scientific convention. All these scientists from around the world going to North Shore, Long Island, like this is big... Uh, facility there and what is it uh, cold spring harbor they're like a big thing there right? so there was no like gps in those days this is how long ago it was <laughs> gps was like a new thing that people really didn't have 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 you know some did some didn't but very few and far between as opposed to now right so she's driving down in her volvo going in with these guys <laughs> you know and then she calls me because like she calls me like like crying. I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, we 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 can't find our way over the George Washington Bridge. I'm like, what do you mean? Because <laughs> if you cross the bridge from from the west side, it tells you you're going like north. And if you cross from the other side, it tells you you're going south. But you know you're going east and west. You know, it's actually really confusing. <laughs> if you don't know your way through there, you're you can get lost. And you don't want to get lost in that neighborhood. You don't want to get off that highway. You want to get through there as fast as possible and maybe have body armor get through, get through there. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
or if you could uh, uh, have like some Spanish, Espanol, you'd be, you got something going on. That's that's Spanish Harlem, man. That's like the Bronx and South Bronx. That's like where all the gates of hell come together. It really is. So anyway, I'm like, okay, they went over the bridge seven times. So I said, you got to go back another another time. <laughs> turn around. They're turn around, go back, and I, I was their GPS until they got to Long Island, you know, and uh, so then. Then she calls me from from the party later on that night. All these guys drinking champagne, you know, whatever they do. Those parties, I've been to those parties, not those parties. I've been to like fashion parties and, and club parties, you know, <laughs> not, not scientific. Nobody's ever invited me to a, a scientific type of dealies. So she calls me from the thing and she's a little trashed on champagne, whatever. And... uh and just before she gets off the phone, she's like, I love, I love you. She's very, very sweet. And uh, so then people in the background, these guys are like, who's on phone? Who's on? Because these guys, like scientists from Sweden and all these other people around, who's who's on the phone? And she's like, oh, it's my boyfriend, Michael. Ooh. And they're like, hello, Michael. I'm sitting there laughing, man. Like, <laughs> And she's like, she's like, I love you. They're like, they're like, we love you, Michael. We love you. They all start singing. We love Michael. Oh my God. I was like rolling, man. And I'm like, who are those guys? And she's like, uh, just the leading minds in science around the world. I'm like, ah, thank you. Check, please. Luckily, she didn't have to drive home. <laughs> you know what I mean? But now, this is important because after, like the day after, she came back the next day, <clears throat> she said that the guy that headed off the whole the whole thing, that invited all these scientists, he like got everybody drunk and went around asking them specific questions about the experiments that they're doing and writing it down. And she felt like really weird that she had said more than she should have. And uh, man, that's when you have to think like that. You know, because that's how competitive it is. They they don't want to do their own work. They want to hop on somebody else's work and then, you know, pick it up there and finish it or, or or collaborate or continue it. But even though they themselves have no original ideas, right? Anyway, what the hell was I? <laughs> so, okay. Away from my silly stories. <clears throat> but, all right. Expecting objects to have their own independent existence, uh, independent of us and also other objects, is actually a deeper-seated assumption that we make about the world. This assumption has its origin in the scientific revolution of the 17th century and is part of what we call the, the mechanistic worldview. According to this view, the world is like a giant clockwork machine whose parts are governed by the, the set and laws of motion. This view of the world is responsible for much of our scientific advancement since the 17th century. But as Italian physicist Carlo Rovelli argues in his new book, Hegloland, quantum theory, uh, the physical theory that describes the universe as the smallest scales almost uh, certainly shows the world view to be false. Instead, Rovelli argues that we should adopt a uh, like a, a relational worldview, right? So what does it mean to be relational? During the scientific revolution, the, the uh, English professor pioneer Isaac Newton and his German counterpart, Gottfried Leibniz, agreed uh, that the nature of space and time, they disagreed on the nature of space and time. Newton claimed that space and time acted like a container for the contents of the universe. That is, if we could remove the contents of the universe, all the planets, stars, and galaxies, we would be left with uh, empty space and time. This is the absolute view of space and time. Uh, Leibniz on the other hand, claimed that space and time were nothing more than the sum total of distances and durations between all objects and events of the world. If we removed all the contents of the universe, we would remove space and time also. This is the relational view of space and time. They are only the spatial and temporal relations between objects and events. The relational view of space and time was a key inspiration for Einstein which when he developed general relativity. 
So these guys are like the dudes who one guy has the peanut butter, the other guy has the chocolate bar. And they're all happy unto themselves eating what they got. Then they kind of clash and get it together, and it's a whole different world, man. And Einstein, you're talking about old science, stuff that these guys were just – they, they weren't the beat-all, beat-all biggest brains at the time they were, but we have gotten to different places in science that's gone beyond of what these other people had surmised, right? But it's happened because of their work. So they are stepping stones to, to this technology, right? So Ravelli makes, you know, makes use of the idea to understand quantum mechanics. He claims the objects of quantum theory, such as photon, electron, or other fundamental particles, uh, are nothing more than the properties they exhibit when interacting with in relation to other objects. We make it real. We make each other real. But it's got to be generated by something, right? So these properties of a quantum object are determined through experiment and includes things like uh, the object's position, momentum, and energy. Together, they make up uh, object state. But is there momentum? Is there is there anything? I mean, does it travel? Is it all just moving around? How do we know it's traveling around? Because we're observing it. And the fact that we're observing it, doesn't that change the whole goddamn thing to begin with? I've read. <laughs> you know? So... Okay, just like Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's cat, man, you know? Uh, you put a cat in a box with a lethal agent. It's really terrible, man. I'm not a cat. I'm not a cat. I'm a politician with a lethal agent like a, a veil of poison gas triggered by a quantum process like the decay of radioactive, a radioactive atom. We close the lid. The quantum process is the chance event. There is no way to predict it, but we can describe in a way uh, that tells us the different chances of uh, the atom decaying or not in the same period of time. Because the decay will trigger the opening of the viral, a poison, and then hence the death of the politician. The politician's life or death is also a purely chance event. <laughs> so according to the orthodox quantum theory, uh, the politician is neither dead nor alive until we open the box and observe the system. The puzzling, the puzzle remains uh, concerning what it would be like exactly to be neither dead or alive. So, yeah, it's an interesting story. I don't like it. It's got a cat in there, and you don't mess with a cat. You know what I mean? To me, people. <laughs> so, it comes down to this we don't know anything, and we are learning, but it's little bits and pieces, you know. When it comes to quantum quantum tunneling, right? Let's say I established two points of quantum tunneling on the Earth, two points of uh, one point of origin, one point of, of receiving. And let's say I had a pencil, plain old number two pencil, and I held it in my left hand. And now that pencil, because of an arc that I set and predisposed point out in space, the pencil goes all the way out in space instantaneously. There's no time. These particles that that they've moved around uh, are connected. Even uh, you know when they turn one particle clockwise, the other one turns counterclockwise. It could be hundreds of miles away from each other. That these particles they have divided. They have proven the 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 connectivity, the connection between these things. No matter how far or what's in between. Or how much time? There's no time when it comes to that. It's instantaneous. So imagine if you have that way of instantaneously being able to connect. All right, let's say you want to travel to, to uh, Uranus. You know what I mean? You may not think it's a very far journey, but it can be. If you wanted to, and you took that pencil in your left hand, and it went all the way up to Uranus, and then it arced, and it came back, and then you held it in your right hand, and you're actually able to write with it. And then at that at point, you are connected to all those things plus Uranus. You know, if you had some kind of device, you'd be able to get there. You'd be able to teleport there. You wouldn't have to go there in real time in some spacecraft and take millions of years to get somewhere or hundreds of years or even months. You'd be able to do it instantaneously. That's the deal, right? But what does that tell us about reality? We know that everything in reality is uh, smoke and mirrors, basically, is what's presented to us, right? Isn't that basically what it is? So, basically, right? All right, so, last but not least, 
the multiverse. Right? Multiverse theory suggests that our universe, uh, with all of its hundreds of billions of galaxies and almost countless stars spanning tens of billions of light years, may not be the only one. Instead, there may be an entirely different universe distantly separated from ours and another and another. Indeed, there may be an infinity of universes, right? All of their laws of physics, their own, they got their own laws of physics, they got their own collection of stars, galaxies, all that. So the physics for them could be different from the physics for us, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's on the same plane when it comes to quantum physics. And I also have a, a theory that there's a mega world of physics. I don't just think it goes from the micro level to the macro level. I think it goes further and further, down and up. I think that it, it's a, a chain. You know, a never-ending chain, like, like, uh, or, uh, you know, a, a robberist, right? Something that the, this this mythological creature, like a dragon, looks like, and eating itself, and it goes on and on and on, and twisting, twisting, twisting around. So, if you had multiple universes, let's say you had multiple dimensions, right? And you have one dimension where the Earth is expanding, but no, the next dimension, the Earth is, every, you know, the universe is expanding, the universe is contracting, everything happening in an opposite way, and the next one is expanding, and the next one is contracting, you know, this this breathing back and forth, up and down, back and forth, you know, something like that. That makes more, <clears throat> more sense to me. It really does. So, <clears throat> anyway. The biggest piece of evidence that the multiverse is that life actually exists is particularly intelligent life capable of making cosmological observations. You know what I mean? The traveling around the universe. Certain aspects of our universe seem special and important for supporting life, such as the longevity of a star, the abundance of carbon, the availability of light uh, for photosynthesis, and the stability of complex nuclei. So, you know, all these features are typically not the case you get when you look at the your planets out there. So, you know, the Earth stands out as, as a place. It also supports the life that's here. But the life that's here was developed here on, on the conditions that exist, right? So, I don't know. We could talk about this for, for months, for months, man. It's never ending. And I hope you got a good chunk of it tonight. You know, uh, it... If you truly can make your own reality, and re if 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 it's all built on nothing, and you can make your own reality, then all you really have to do is think positive in those terms and push the negativity away, and take in the good stuff, and think positive, and think about the life that you want around you rather than the one you got. Unless your life is perfect, then don't change anything. But I think that we can use this to make us better people, right? And also in the next life and the next life and the next life, even if you're a butterfly flopping its little wings or if you're a big fat cat laying there in the sunshine all happy because you ate a bunch of treats, that's where I'm going. <laughs> that's my, that's going to be my existence, you know? <laughs> big fat cat. There with a cat lady, crazy cat lady, man. Big fat cat laying in the sunshine, eating some treats. What you got for me? A little piece of steak? I'm happy for that. <laughs> so, anyway, I will see you guys on the next Discovery Paranormal. I hope you had a good time. Watch out for that dark energy that nobody seems to know anything about. And do your research, man. You know, all the stuff we talked about is so interesting to read. Oh, so interesting even to watch videos uh, that are online, and, you know, like like legitimate videos, you know, not the crap that people put out there, but legitimate, legitimate information, people who really did their research. Amazing, cool stuff. I'll see you guys next week on UnitedPublicRadioNetwork.com, y'all. Adios, muchachos.